Hello, welcome to Beyond the Filter. I'm here with my guest, Keith Rankin. Keith, <laughs> what do you do? Hi, I co-run Orange Milk Records, and um, I make music under the name Giant Claw, and um, I make a visual art as well. And you're, are, do you live in Columbus, Ohio, is that correct? Yeah, I do. So, um, Orange Milk Records, how would you describe it? Like, experimental electronic music? Is there non-electronic stuff on there? Yeah, um, some. I think we've focused more on electronic music in the past few years. Like, we've had a, we had an acoustic guitar album, and there's some, like, folk music, and we released kind of like a doom metal album. So there's little things like that here and there. But it's mostly, I would say, more abstract electronic music. Oh, I love those train sounds. <laughs> yeah, sorry, there's there's a train track right next to my house. So. No, no it, it adds some interesting ambiance to, to the recording. Well, so so the the way that I just I discovered Orange Milk pretty randomly, but it's it's kind of interesting because there are a lot of net labels out uh, out there these days, and I I, I definitely want to talk about you know some of the business of running like a net label and what that entails and and everything. But also like I think the the thing that distinguishes Orange Milk is for, for one that you you do uh, at the very least like a lot of the album covers. Yeah, I used to do more maybe, or uh, we've been hiring some other people uh, kind of to, bur to lessen the burden of the making all that art. Um, but yeah, I do a, a lot of it. So, so how did your like artistic style develop, and what made you kind of want to translate that over to doing album covers for for your label? Um, I mean, I've been making art, visual art, pretty much. For as long as I can remember, I stopped as a teenager for years to, I guess, focus on music more, which I, I kind of regret. I think if I had just kept making visuals that whole time, I'd be a lot better now. But I got into doing um, collage work, I think, um, shortly before Orange Milk started. Like uh, pa paper collage, like ma materials, or like digital? Uh, both, yeah. Um, it, it eventually became more digital collage. Oh, is there a particular like inspiration? Because your style is very distinctive. I mean, I, it makes me think of sort of classic surrealism in a lot of ways, like some of like just even Salvador Dali or some of that stuff, um, except more <laughs> abstract. Um, yeah, honestly, I never... I feel almost like... A bit uneducated with certain art, like art history movements. But yeah, it was just more like seeing things on the internet. I would just go to Tumblr pages and just uh, save every image that I liked to a folder on my computer. And so I just uh, got these massive collections of, you know, JPEGs or uh, just images I found on the internet. And that was like a constant source of inspiration. So it was just a lot of variety. But yeah, the early surreal art that you mentioned, I love. And, you know, lots, lots of things. 
that is interesting. I mean, that's something that I used to do a lot of too. Is just go on Tumblr and or even Google Image Search, right? And just save anything that looks kind of cool, regardless of what it is. Yeah, a lot of it. Um, I was obviously drawn to a lot of the like the airbrush look from the seventies uh, and eighties artists. A lot of it, like kind of advertising art or like package art on movies and posters and things. Just that whole, um, I guess you'd call it like hyper-real style where you're making almost a photorealistic interpretation of, say, like a cherry or something, but then you kind of push it a few levels beyond reality. So it's like more sparkling or more contrast or just like more saturated color. And when that, like, heightened reality, I think when people see that, I don't know, it's like in presenting, like, an idealized version of reality. Yeah, in a way that almost kind of makes it uncomfortable or something. Like, there's something, like, alien about it. Yeah. But it's, but it's also kind of pretty in, in, in a way, too. Right. I Yeah, I was drawn to that a lot. Yeah, I can definitely see that influence. Um on, on your art in general, but it, it kind of, it's interesting to me that like the origins for a lot of this stuff is just like Googling around or searching Tumblr or whatever, just finding like stuff from the internet just because like it feels very much in line with the sort of like, I don't want to call it like net aesthetic because that's kind of like, I don't even know what that means, but um <laughs> Like digital music culture versus like, you know, traditional music culture, which is like regional music scenes or whatever. And how like kind of I feel like how fundamentally different like those two things are. A lot of uh, media around music in particular is focused on, you know, like where a band is from or their backstory or whereas in the digital music world, especially something like Orange Milk, where you know, a lot of the album covers look the same because you, you've done the art or it's at the very least kind of a similar kind of abstract surrealist style. And like, and there are artists from all over, like, which is one of the things that I like the most about your label is that like, um, there's a diverse array of like artists, uh, like geographically and also in terms of genre. Um, I don't know how diverse it is in terms of like racial or gender diversity but like the thing is like everything is part of the same sort of community and you don't really think about that you're just thinking about like the music so like when i'm clicking on a release on your website just to listen to it i have no idea what to expect and my only expectation that i'm coming with is not oh i've heard of x artist or whatever it's just like oh this looks like the art on this looks kind of cool like let's listen to this and see what it is i think a lot of that is because a majority of our releases just come from either searching like SoundCloud for artists or accepting and listening to demos. So a lot of we release a lot of I guess smaller artists who don't have a big following yet. So I think that's allowed us to release artists from all over the world in a way. Do a lot of these artists like reach out to you or do you reach out to them? Like what happens more often? Um, we get a lot of demos. I, I like it when 
sometimes hearing demos is an interesting experience, especially in the last maybe year. We've just gotten a lot, and I always feel really bad not being able to respond to everyone because uh, I think if you did, it would be like a kind of its own part-time job almost. It's It seems like maybe 60% demos and then 40% stuff we seek out, roughly. And when did you start Orange Milk? In uh, 2010. Okay. Did you start it with your... Uh... Uh, is it is it Seth who's the the other the other guy who runs the yeah we, we started together. You said about sixty percent of your artists uh, s- submit, um, and about forty percent you find on SoundCloud. How do you find them on SoundCloud? Do you just like do you just search random stuff? Is there like a particular? It's <laughs> there's so much on SoundCloud. I I used to do it where I would just find or I'd like listen to everyone who followed my music page or just click on the friends page and then let their the soundcloud algorithm kind of take you deep into the stomach of soundcloud you know yeah i've totally done that before too and so like you'll just be listening for like a, a few hours usually while i'm in photoshop i'll have something playing then every once in a while something will just catch your ear yeah it's i mean honestly it's kind of rare for something to really jump out of me in that process but um sometimes you find something really cool like i i think that's how i found uh, the artist food man in uh 2011 or 2012 and uh, he's been an artist we've worked with continuously since then so so how did you get into doing most mostly tape releases on the label well let me think um I think one of our, actually, one of our, I think our first release was a vinyl, because we knew we wanted to do digital, like, at least I always looked at digital as kind of the foremost format, um, just because that's how I listen to music most of the time, and then, you know, tape and vinyl is just, or a CD is just, if people want that um, physical object, which still which still attracts a lot of people. You usually but, sell out of your tapes, don't you? Like it seems to be pretty popular. Well, yeah, some more than others. I mean, we try to press enough to like fulfill the demand. Um, but the sec- the whole secondhand market is its own other beast. Um, oh God, I've thought about that. I've thought about like in like. 10 years when it <laughs> when your label is like becomes the cool label to like talk about in the past if somebody finds like an orange milk thing they'll be selling it on ebay for like a hundred dollars or something like that yeah it's just the problem is um i think you know scarcity sometimes boosts something's price say for instance an orange milk tape is selling for you know like fifty dollars or something on discogs I think if we then went and repressed 100, 200 copies, we've done this before, um, and, you know, they won't they won't sell out of that run, or they'll sell, like, half those copies. So it's, um, I feel like in a lot of cases, it's the scarcity itself that is, is pushing prices up. And another comment on that is just how weird it is to uh, have this really, like, 
capitalistic uh, flourish enter into the whole business, I guess. But that's just that just goes hand in hand with running a label or doing any kind of money exchange, I would say. Yeah. I, I don't think there's a way that you can, like, get around that on the internet. Like, even leftist podcasts and things that I listen to, they make money through Patreon, and they're basically selling themselves as a brand to talk about why capitalism is bad. And, like, it's an, it's an obvious, like, contradiction, but it's also, like, something we don't have any way of getting around anyway. Yeah, I think the moment you kind of establish any kind of money exchange, you uh, you just kind of have to play by a lot of those rules, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's like you definitely have to think more about just the the if you're doing more good than bad, as far as that's concerned. Wait, um, what do you mean, good than bad? Well, like you're okay. So with Orange Milk Records, like. You you kind of have ownership. There's some ownership over things that are released under that umbrella just from, you know, maybe having, like, the artwork the way that it is and some of that stuff. Um, and I think that makes it, like... And a lot of these artists aren't very well known. They're not getting, like, written about in publications and all this kind of stuff. So So your label is maybe how a lot of people are getting exposed to them. Mm-hmm. There aren't, like, you know, fancy PR, like, shots of, like, you know, glamorous producers or whatever, you know, that come with this stuff. Because, like, I don't know, when, when you're talking about, like, cultural or musical influences, um, like, I feel like that's, that's usually apparent from listening to the music itself. And, and I feel like the commentary around it often just can, like, distract me from concentrating on the music. I don't know. That's how I feel, I guess. I guess I could say a few things about that. I think um, I think publications like NPR, for one, are starting to, you know, dip into more underground subcultures now. So there's not as great a divide between essentially mainstream music journalism and uh, underground music as maybe there was in the past. Basically, I guess what I'm trying to say is there's a lot more crossover or maybe a more blurred lines between uh, mainstream and underground musics. Um, I mean, obviously, you have artists like Rihanna or Kanye West who are like the, you know, classic uh, yeah. superstar. But then you have, <laughs> I keep thinking about that artist Robin Thicke who sold, <laughs> who sold like... On his like one of his albums yeah, sold oh. like a thousand copies or something. <laughs> That's how hard you like. Uh, people can fall really hard in the world of pop music. Like you can go from from having a number one hit to to nothing like really quickly. Yeah. <laughs> so I just think there's maybe a more level playing field, and maybe underground music cultures are kind of interacting with. Uh, more mainstream institutions now a bit more maybe than in the past yeah i can see that i think my impression though is that certain artists become celebrities um or like micro we'll say micro celebrities not like you know huge celebrities Uh And, and like attention gets focused on them but like other artists from these underground scenes won't be you know be recognized so the and like and and like 
the stuff that that gets written about the most, at least in my opinion, is not always the stuff that's the most interesting or the best. It might just be that, and I'm not like saying this about a particular artist necessarily, but maybe somebody knew the right people, they had the right sort of PR push or whatever, or like it's the kind of thing that publications were looking to more write more about, or they they had like a hook on how to write about it, like, and. <laughs> I feel frustrated with that stuff sometimes because sometimes I'm like, you know, why is this thing talk, talk it's not like I'm not mad that one thing is being talked about, but like why isn't this thing being talked about in the context of these other things maybe or you know, oh. why aren't these other artists getting kind of recognized? Like that that's sort of what I feel is that it we're all sort of like artists as brands and like your ability to be successful depends on how well you're you sell your like, you know, unique thing or whatever. And instead of like looking at it as being part of a kind of like a broader picture of like interactions between different kinds of me, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, um, narratives and personalities are what attract a lot of publications or, you know, there's a lot of listeners. So yeah, I guess if you're like, as an artist, maybe if you want to get on a lot of publications, get written about, <laughs> You do have to present yourself as a in the context of a strong narrative, or like in the context of a strong personal journey, maybe, or something like that. Just a story, you know. And that's usually, I mean, that's probably a quick way to attract a lot of people. I would say is when your personality, like you said, becomes its own strong brand. Is that kind of what you're touching? Yeah. On? Definitely. Well, the thing that I find interesting about that is it's not like it seems very much that way in music. We're very much attached to like the personality of the performer. But like in like something like video games, that's not people actually don't like there are definitely video game like celebrities, but it's not to the extent of like celebrities in other realms like people don't care as much about the personality and they see you more as just being kind of a normal person or whatever. Like people who are really interested in something, they'll, they'll be interested in the person, but they're more interested in like the thing itself. And I think that also goes back to the culture of video games being very much like the designers tend to not have like a very big role within like the selling of a thing. There isn't like a, that's changing now. There isn't like, but there like traditionally isn't like an auteur sort of theory or whatever you mm. want to call it. Um, Part of it has to be, like I mentioned with a narrative, like listening to music as an experience is very different than watching a movie or, you know, playing a game in that it's, um, you know, it's just like organized frequencies. It's not a, it's not a story or it's a it's an alternate language in a sense or like an alternate way of uh hearing a story i guess you could say but um in video games like what draws people is the uh like the game mechanics or like the narrative <laughs> in film it's like the story or the um, see that's like not true for me though I don't know. Maybe I'm an outlier. 
what uh, what draws you to the to the game? I just I like things that are like interesting artistically, and it's the same with everything. Like I I don't know maybe it's because I like try and do as many different things as possible, mm-hmm. but like I see them as being very connected to each other. Like there are different features to different like medium media, but. I don't know. It's hard for me to separate one from the other, honestly. Like, there are definitely a lot of albums that I can say are like a narrative, in an abstract sense. Right. Um, and like, I I like films that are more kind of, I guess, experimental, but more kind of playing with the the form and the format. And the same with the same with games. Um, so I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily interested in like the surface narrative um, of those things. To me, they're kind of all like kind of abstract blobs or whatever, like in different ways, because they're all kind of like media that is inherently sort of cut up and put back together or like they're just all these different pieces and parts that go in and it's i don't know it's a it's hard for me to think of it as being this kind of straight logical like i don't think about art that way you know it's being like and i think it's easier for people to think about music that way in like people can deal with like abstraction in music um to a degree that maybe they can't in other things. It's even, I know it's even more so in visual art. Like people can deal with a lot of abstraction in visual art. Yeah. Um, and they can deal with some of it in music, but maybe not to the degree, but it's even think, less yeah. so in other media. Why do you think there's, it, why do you think people have a easier time dealing with abstraction and visual art than music? I don't know. Uh, I think, like, uh, well, visual art's just been around for a longer... Uh, well, not not around for longer than music, but maybe around for longer than, like, especially digital music. Like recorded, recorded music? Like recorded music, yeah. Um, I think, like... Um, uh, I think, like... Um, I don't know. I maybe we're just like we're we're a pretty visual culture. Um I think like we tend to think of things in terms of like visual metaphors and and stuff like that. Um I can't re- uh I can't really say maybe may, like the 20th century also like had a lot to do with like industrialization, had a lot to do with people kind of sense of reality being kind of much different than before kind of warped and twisted and um so so maybe because people got used to seeing things that are fundamentally kind of seen as unnatural they got used to dealing seeing like like incredible levels of sort of abstraction Mm -hmm. um i think i add advertising plays a big part in it also um yeah you're right when uh, it's kind of the same thing that happen is happening now in film with music, um, like a lot of films have adopted kind of this abstract sound design style um, in a similar way that advertising, I think, adopted uh, surrealism and 
uh, Dadaism and all that, uh, all that stuff. Um, and now, you know, if you, if you send like a commercial now back to the fifties or something, it would be, you know, absolutely mind blowing, insane, abstract art. Um, but now it's been pretty normalized, uh, I think through advertising, um, and the same with, I was just talking about this in another interview, I think, of like music from films like Transformers and uh, like the superhero movies. Like a lot of the sound design in those films is very interesting to me and uh, taken on its own would be like extremely uh, abstract and <laughs> really awesome uh, sound design music. Um, but I think the public is maybe getting accustomed to it a little bit through the context of these big, big uh, blockbuster movies. Yeah. Well, people become desensitized to it. It becomes like, instead of becoming like a piece, a part of the art, it becomes like background noise. Yeah. I think a side effect of that though, is that um, it's kind of like how culture gently cycles through uh the the you know the polar opposites of mainstream and underground culture not opposites necessarily but just cycles through those uh points on the spectrum i guess um basically i'm saying that these big films like usher in the these underground movements um into the mainstream then to make room for what else uh, replaces them. Yeah. That makes sense. No, that totally makes sense. I mean, it's, it's a thing I think about with like, in regards to music with like, I mean, one of the best examples that I can think of is like Kanye West's album, Yeezus, uh-huh. um, where he like explicitly, you know, went out and found a bunch of like, you know, very underground producers, um, to work on it and it's a really kind of experimental and strange album yeah um I yeah i do too it's it's really upsetting too but like um i guess that's part of the whole like kanye west spectacle at this point <laughs> um but um yeah that is a and and like i think people can deal with um I mean, there there's a traditional thing um, where um, with a, like that happened with electronic music in America, where um, sort of electronic music um, sort of rose out of disco um, in these kind of underground club scenes in places like you know Chicago and Detroit, and um, I, I mean, and, and like, you know, experimental electronic stuff existed before that. Um, either there are a lot of women composers, there were a lot of like, like BBC radiophonic stuff or like, you know, um, Stockhausen or people like that. Uh -huh. um, but um, the kind of like electronic dance music got its start in like these really underground clubs, but they didn't catch on in America. They caught on in the UK and, uh, and, Europe and now that's sort of like all that stuff is sort of fused with this like ABBA pop music and become this like global 
<laughs> music. Um, but like for a long time, even though like the music came from America, like people in America didn't really understand electronic music or it wasn't really a thing that was accepted by the mainstream. And now that's totally changed. And yeah. I feel like, like, you know, like the dubstep stuff is just like a weird electronic sounds like, um, or like, um, a lot of mainstream pop has very experimental kind of flourishes to it. Um, and people can, can handle that now. And I, I find that really interesting. Um, but it's also like, it's unfortunate that it's imperceptible to a lot of people. And I think like the, the moment that you become aware and able to articulate the stuff, the more that you see connections to all these other things, but most people just see this like spectacle and they see that as, you know, that's great. Like, but, um, all this sort of lineage and history oftentimes isn't traced very effectively. And, um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of lineage from video game music to like music of today, like, like in hip hop, especially. And like, that's something that doesn't get talked about very often, for example, um, well, or to, mean, or, or to Orange Milk Records. I feel like Orange Milk is very like video game music-y in a lot of ways. Yeah, there's some ties to <laughs> there. I think, uh, but I mean, most, you know, most of the population that's listening to music are not, um, like, like I've, I firmly believe that people have a limited set of interests or, I mean, there's only so much that you can devote like your mind to at once, I guess. Um, and you know, for someone like me, or I, I assume someone like you, um, like music is a very much like a big part of life and uh, a lot of mental energy goes into it. Um, but you know, for so many people, it's just not the case. Um, and just music serves a different function. Um, I don't know. I guess, I guess I find that sad. Like I want it to be a bigger part of other people's lives. And I think the reason why we don't, we don't have like culture that like emphasizes, um, that really tries to push people to go out of their comfort zone with things like art. So it te the, the people who tend to want to do that are the people who are already consider themselves artists or who are inherently interested in that kind of thing. Um, yeah. I feel like if we had a culture that, that pushed that a little bit more then there would be more interest in it. Um, and if people had more time, like everyone's working all the time now, like, you know, if people had more time to like sit down and listen to something, um, then then there would be kind of more of an interest in exploring these kind of other territories. That's, um, I, I 100% agree with what that, um, I think from what I've seen, um, just the work week in America and I'm sure <laughs> other places is, uh, it's grueling and, uh, I think it wears people down in a really horrible way a lot of the time. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think about also like, um, when I was a teen, 
uh, and in college, like, um, I was pretty busy in high school. Like I had, did a lot of extracurricular stuff and I was on the swim team. So like we, we'd have to take the bus for an hour and a half to go usually to Columbus, somewhere in Columbus, like near Columbus for like a swim meet. Um, and, um, so I just didn't want to talk to anyone. So I had like whatever music I was listening to, but it was almost always like indie rock or something like that. Um, because it's just easy. It was easier for me to get a sense that this person was like speaking to me or my life in some way. It was very like direct. Uh-huh. Um, but once I sort of, uh, I graduated from college and I, I had, I deliberately spent more time in kind of trying to get like centered and figuring out like what was going on with me. I think I ha- got a lot more interested in like kind of looking out into the unknown. And now like I want stuff that is different or stimulating. Like I need it because I spent so much time. I spent so much time finding that stuff that now I like crave it everywhere. <laughs> Yeah, um, I can relate to that. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, but it wasn't that way at all before. If you played me something from Orange Milk when I was in, I don't know, college or high school, I would probably hate it. Like, I probably wouldn't understand it. Um, even though I liked some things that were like that, but because maybe it wasn't presented in a way that I liked or whatever. Um, I would maybe find it alienating or something, Hmm. which I don't anymore. I don't find it like alienating. Yeah. I think, um, you know, I, everyone has like a different path into music, I guess. Like I, I relate to what you said is, um, like basically discovering art that, uh, that seemed to in some way gel with like the inner mind more than maybe the culture you were like surrounded in. Uh, that experience was pretty intense for me, particularly like when I got on the internet, um, it was just like an explosion of, uh, of finding (laughs) these other, these, you know, all these like small subgenres and just, this whole world of uh, culture that I was previously like unaware of. Um, and like, I think no one's mind is like you come up, you grow up and with uh, in a culture that is very much has like templates that are kind of like forced onto you. And a lot of the time there's going to be parts of your mind that just don't line up with those uh, templates and it can cause a lot of friction. And for me, like hearing music that was maybe relatable in some ways uh, relieved a lot of that mental friction, I guess. Um, yeah. Well, I think that's also why you have movements that get really popular really fast and then also deflate really fast. Like there's like grunge because that's like something that wasn't you know, that was like part of the consciousness or whatever that wasn't popular in the eighties. And then that got popular, but then people didn't want to hear that anymore because it became overexposed. 
and that like the culture kind of surround that. And I feel like culture has that effect oftentimes. It's a little bit different in the age of the internet, but I still feel like it has that effect where people are uh, alienated from the big thing that's happening. So something else happens and then people are alienated from that. And, and I don't know. Yeah. I mean, the internet has warped things a lot just because uh, there's just so many outlets. Like no matter what your like fetish or whatever, um, whatever interest you have, like there's usually a place to connect with other people who feel similarly. Um, and I just don't know if that widespread outlet was around as much before the internet. Um, but it's definitely made some interesting, it resulted in some interesting music genres and, uh, and a lot of like mini movements, I guess you would say. Yeah. But I do think a thing has happened where, um, like, you know, back, back then, like maybe you had to listen to, like, I grew up in the middle of, kind of in the middle of nowhere but the reason that i knew about a lot of the music that i did because like even indie rock was like kind of like not a thing that people listened to in my high school or anything like that what did what were people listening to they're listening to like lincoln park and like um what else like like uh system of a down like uh you know a lot of those like almost like new metal or like yeah. You know, and like when like Spice Girls and stuff was popular, people listened to that. But like by the time I was in high school, yeah, it was like Linkin Park and and like Christian rock, like Creed. Mm. Um and and like sometimes they play mainstream pop too, like Avril Lavigne or something. But like people didn't know who Radiohead was at my high school, you know, like uh-huh. Um so it was like any of that stuff was like obscure to me, you know, even though it wasn't really obscure in another context. Um, but I think because like I got into some of the stuff that I did because uh, I lived near a college campus and my brother had a friend who had an older brother who probably knew somebody, you know, like at, um, at the college campus and my brother would just start listening to the college radio station or he'd find out about new artists. So I kind of got the, he's my older brother i kind of got the refuse from him like i found out about a lot of stuff um and yeah so i like knew about you know so i was listening to like kid a and stuff when i was in seventh grade and like um that was kind of or eighth grade i think but that was kind of like a i had an interesting time where i think i like um there's a lot of like stuff that came out sort of at the the turn of the the millennium that i was interested in and then i think um like outlets and stuff got more interested in talking about like that kind of like indie rock uh post-punk revival kind of stuff and i remember feeling very alienated from that and i think that's eventually one of the reasons why i ended up getting into some of the stuff that I did because I kind of felt more and more alienated from like the indie rock thing, which is not even really that much of a thing anymore. Like it's not like this big popular phenomenon like it was in the two thousands. What, uh, what about it do you think was alienating to you? It's kind of like, 
Um, I just felt like uh, like some of the stuff, like the Strokes, was just kind of boring. Like I, I, I think I was interested in like the sound experimentation aspect of like even like guided by voices and stuff. The stuff that I liked of them was like the lo-fi stuff that had like interesting. The sound had like an interesting timbre or whatever to it. Right. Um, but like once it became more about sort of that just like straight up songs and this kind of like return to like, it, it seemed very conservative to me. Like it's like a return to um, a certain kind of idea or songwriting that might've never quite existed, but it's an idea that people have that exists. Um, and it got to a point where like towards the end of the like 2009, there are a lot of artists, some of whom I still like, um, but it was it's it was all kind of like maybe just too like soft for me like too like uh too kind of bland i don't know like some of it it just became this kind of like bland like it's this very like kind of um pleasant sounding but maybe not particularly like edgy music um not that I was into like edgy metal or anything like that, but I, I think I wanted like something that was kind of pretty, but also had kind of an edge to it. Yeah. You, um, you were just moving on essentially, or is that? Yeah. Um, but I don't know the thing I, I, <laughs> I meant to talk about this about 10 minutes earlier before I started getting into this, but, um, I do think like it, the digital realm has kind of exploded things, but at the same time, I think there's kind of like, there's like a digital underground. There's like a digital, almost like cased system or whatever. Uh, I'm being dramatic by using that term, but like it's, um, there are invisible walls and ceilings that a lot of people don't see that are there. Um, that's like and that's, yeah, and that's become more apparent, I feel like, in the past. Because, like, um, another guy that I was talking to from a label was saying that he had a lot easier time. Like, a lot of blogs, music blogs and stuff, like, a lot of artists got noticed in a way, in, a way in like, you know, at the end of the 2000s, like, mid to late 2000s. Like, in this guy was saying in 2010, like, a lot of artists broke out and he got a lot more attention than he does now. Um and it's not that the mu the quality of the music has gone down. It's just that, like, maybe because everything, there's so much stuff out there. I don't know. And some of these underground communities have gotten huge, like video game music and chiptune music. That a lot of the that chiptune music is a really huge community. And like vaporwave, like that's a really huge genre and like subgenre now. Um, and those are all artists who are releasing things. And which I which Orange Milk seems like kind of tied into a little bit. Um, yeah, we have but, some, you know, some relation to that, to that stuff. But but yeah, like I don't see like a lot of outside of like you know some publications like Tiny Mixtapes or whatever that we'll talk about um, stuff like this. Um, it hasn't really like people don't like these. <laughs> outlets they write about maybe they write about vaporwave as a phenomenon but they don't like pick out these artists and try and like you know uh, understand like the the ma the machinations or whatever of this scene like it feels 
it's treated in this way like it's very impenetrable and admittedly part of the culture is kind of based around making it seem more impenetrable but like um it i feel like like those communities increasingly have less to do with um you know our artists who have gotten who have gotten bigger and stuff and like i mean and there are also when you're talking about like electronic music there are artists who like um like like arca or one of tricks point never or some artists like that who i really like i like both of those artists yeah but there's also a lot of music that sounds like that um out there um now and uh those artists don't necessarily <laughs> get recognition for it or, or whatever, you know, um, like the, like some of the, those producers are seen as kind of like anomalies or whatever, whereas there's all this stuff out there that is kind of in that vein, but maybe not recognized, um, uh -huh. in the same way. So, th so that's what I, that's what I'm saying where I feel like things are really, in spite of like we're all on the same ostensible playing field, I still think things can be pretty unequal. Well, a lot of a lot of what you were saying sounds like it concerns uh, like music publications um, still holding like a fair amount of like cultural power, maybe um, when exposing music to to like a bigger audience, I guess. Is that kind of where you yeah. wish would change? I, I feel like that. I my sense of it might be weird because I grew up reading music publications um, because that was how I like discovered new music when I was in high school. Uh -huh. uh, and I think that there's stuff like Pitchfork definitely has a huge influence, um, but maybe a lot of the other publications don't as much anymore. And I mean, there's stuff like. I don't like Anthony Fantano, like the needle drop. Like I don't really like that guy, but he he has a completely different audience. Huh. Um, he's like, like he's like a YouTube audience, right? Yeah, and actually, uh, he's how I discovered a few artists who I really like. Um, even though I don't really, I haven't really been watching him because um, he has some troubling politics. Unfortunately, like I've yeah, I've seen there's kind of the with some of the the more digital underground spaces there's there's also more of the kind of reactionary politics that you might expect um like what are what are his politics i don't know exactly but um he like he has he's like aligned himself with some like like Gamergate type people and stuff like that before and you know said like feminism is is, is you know SJWs are taking over or whatever like that kind of stuff I see okay uh, which is like unfortunately not that uncommon in this day and age especially in those kind of communities but um yeah I've got a little taste of that on Twitter I guess um yeah just a lot of uh, people I don't, I've never seen before. Um, if I've made maybe a, like even like very slightly politically tinged tweet, um, we'll get a lot of responses uh, that just seem to want to fight about something. Um, it's kind of hard to explain. Yeah, no, I mean that's like unfortunately like the reality of being 
on the internet at this point in time. Like, yeah, yeah definitely. Because, like, I had to deal with um, the community that I was in for a while. Like, a lot of people, which was much more sort of left-wing and, uh, you know, anti-capitalist or whatever, but, like, a lot of people... Um, a lot of people in those communities kind of tore each other apart over personal conflicts or like disagreements over particular things. Like it's, it's really frustrating. I'm kind of like trying to, I like try to engage with political stuff. I don't try and ignore it, but I definitely try and not get into the, the internet, like, um, uh, wars between like, different factions maybe as much at the yeah. same time. It can be very stressful. Um, I mean, I guess there's a t there's like a time and place for it depending on what you're like, like when you get into an argument with someone it's like, what do you want? Like, what are you trying to get out of it, essentially? And a lot of the time there's just like, it's only gonna <laughs> like hurt or, like, it's not giving anyone on either side any any benefit, I guess. Um, yeah. But, well, I think, and I think that's, like, I've had some episodes where I've talked to people about this before, but I think that's part of the, like, architecture of social media is driven by outrage and, and like, people react viscerally negatively to things, um, like, from 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 all sides, like, you know... I'm not like <laughs> I'm not I I don't like to be a person who's like well both sides are equivalent but like we all like we all re respond to things in the same way and and um on social media and I feel like that ends up feeding some extremism and like um you know like the things that are the kind of the most extreme getting reactions and responses mm -hmm. um but I don't know it's weird like I've said this before, like, I mean, I'm not in a position where anyone cares what I have to say about this stuff, so, like, it, I can also just say it, and, like, maybe a few people will be like, oh, yeah, maybe you're right, or, oh, I disagree, but, like, they don't really, you know, I don't have, like, music publications that care about what I have to say or anything like that, but I've, like, right. said this before of, like, I don't, I think, I feel like music writing music journalism whatever you want to call it not and i'm not just talking about like some of the older outlets but like but a lot of them um it's kind of almost in a worse place for me than like what i've witnessed of being involved with like video game writing and video game journalism because um with a lot of the video game stuff well for one it's like a lot newer so there's a lot of people kind of getting in and making their own rules about it um but also, like, a lot of people who do video game stuff will admit that, like, video game criticism and journalism has, like, a, a real serious problem. And there's a lot of, like, reactionaries and stuff in, in that culture. So there's also more effort to, like, acknowledge that and try and do something about it. Mm. But I feel like because in music writing and music journalism, people will see, like, well, we, we don't have those problems, so that means, like, that means that they don't exist. Or, like, you know, there isn't an effort to address, like, the way some of these issues, like, um, can impact, like, the landscape musically. Um, and, like, 
I don't I don't know why I mean I know why but it's it's upsetting to me of that someone we're all in this situation where you might say like um I want to write more uh stuff about this like net label or something that isn't being covered but the publication doesn't want to do that or even if they do that it doesn't get very much attention or it just doesn't get the clicks that writing, you know, a think piece about Beyonce or Radiohead or something does. Yeah. Um, so the media ends up getting so focused on, like, those artists who are, you know, really super well-known already um, because everyone's kind of dependent on this sort of click economy. Um, and I don't know, I feel like that ends up... I, I It feels kind of unavoidable for a lot of these publications, but it ends up kind of like souring the landscape a lot because everyone, there's like this mainstream thing that everyone's expected to have an opinion on. And yet, meanwhile, there's all these interesting other things that are coming out. Um, and it's so incredibly hard to get anyone to pay attention to them. Things just come and go so quickly. Um, I don't know. It's weird. I actually used to, I used to uh, work for Tiny Mixtapes years ago, actually. Um, and re I guess relating to what you said, um, I have like a lot of respect for Marvin, who uh, run is the head guy at Tiny Mixtapes. Is that is that C Monster or is that somebody else? Uh, no, it's Mr. P. Oh, okay. Um, he's the yeah. He's like the editor in chief. The he started Tiny Mixtapes. Um, but basically the whole, the infrastructure, a lot, of, a lot of those publications, at least from my experience with Tiny Mixtapes, was um, you, get, uh, you get money from ad revenue, essentially. Um, and maybe the, like, around 2006, seven, I think, um, ads used to be just kind of static uh, pictures on sites um, or sometimes they'd be uh, like GIFs or something, you know. Um, but there came a point where advertisers wanted to be more like organically integrated into a site's content. So they would do these things called sponsored posts or they would do like uh, wallpapers, like where an entire site's background was like a huge ad. Um, so basically, there was this turn into more intense advertisings, uh, advertising formats, I guess you would say. And to Tiny Mixtapes credits, uh, credit, uh, Marvin, um, I, it turned down a lot of that. Uh, basically opted to keep uh, the site's, you know, voice or their decisions on what to cover more intact uh, by turning down a lot of a lot of advertisements and, as a result, like, making a lot less money. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Whereas I think for a lot of other publications, when there's the, there's, like, a big paycheck in front of you, that is the difference between you kind of slaving away for barely any money or like being able to hire more staff, like being able to essentially level up your business 
most places, I think, take that check. Um, a lot of times at the expense of their their freedom in some ways, because if you keep covering um, this really underground music, you're just not going to get the same amount of clicks, uh, and you're not going to make as much money. Um, and then you can't have the staff, you can't pay your staff as much, and, you know, just this whole line of repercussion repercussions um so i love tiny mixtapes for you know opting to have the voice that they want to have um cover what they want to cover uh, yeah well and they've kept their their sort of niche intact over the years um yeah like the kind of things that they do yeah but i mean they could be a site like that i think could have become more of like a pitchfork, like a smaller version of pitchfork or something, um, if they had directed their their content into a more crowd pleasing selection, I guess. Uh, yeah, well, and that makes sense that a lot of like blogs that maybe got their start covering more underground music or like breaking new artists. Um, they get popular enough and they start taking that money and then they became become basically a mainstream publication that reviews the same things or a, a slight variation on the things that like Pitchfork reviews or, you know, somebody else. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I feel like it ends up, wait, this landscape, people are just talking about these like same few things. Um, and, you know, if I feel like if these websites, if there, if there was like a few different you know ones of these big websites where they they could where they're like who write about new artists who are maybe on a smaller label or whatever and they said um and they put them you know they gave them good reviews or put them on their year-end list or whatever those artists would get popular and i mean like maybe they wouldn't like make tons of money or stuff but they'd be more part of the discussion so i feel like that's the frustrating thing because now you can say like well we don't write about those because they don't get clicks but if you did put a concerted effort into like pushing them and there were multiple kind of groups of people who had a concerted effort of pushing that stuff then it will become a bigger thing you know mm. yeah uh I, it's 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 also hard to decide like what um what a publication's role should be as in like do you want to actively try to push an artist to like you know make them popular or like is a critic's role more of just uh almost like a sociologist or trying to come at a review from uh i guess you'd say a historical standpoint like trying to put music in some wider context rather than just saying like describing the sounds or saying what you do or don't like about it uh-huh. yeah no i mean i think both of those things are are very important and i i like one thing that like like anthony fantano the the guy i mentioned the youtuber like he does not talk about context he does not talk about that kind of stuff at all his is like just a hundred percent like him reacting to the sounds and whether he likes them or not mm. um and I think that that makes some a lot of his analysis kind of weaker, even though but 
It also does mean he will. It also does mean that he does maybe find some artists or talks about them that maybe he wouldn't get talked about elsewhere. Yeah. But but at the end of the day, no, I like criticism that that breaks apart all these things and does that. And, you know, I think that's an important role of it. But like pushing artists is part of it too. Like if somebody, um, and it's not like pushing the artist as a brand, but if somebody has made a really interesting, amazing album, like I think it definitely deserves to get attention, you know, regardless of where it comes from. Right. No, I, I agree with that. I think um, I, the reason I stopped what you said about Anthony Shotano reminds me of kind of the reason I stopped wanting to write about music. Um, Cause I was thinking a lot about like the use of essentially negative reviews or like, or maybe just paying attention to when I was listening to music, asking myself like, why don't I like this? Or like, why, why do I like this? Um, and so with that in mind, I was looking at all these negative reviews and it really became clear to me that um, most criticism that I was seeing at least kind of boiled down to like two fundamental elements. Um, and the first was, um, like I called it, like kind of your sphere of influence. Um, which is like, you know, you, you, your whole life is just an accumulation of experiences and, uh, and, you know, moments of like hearing things, like absorbing things. And I think it obviously all builds on top of each other and it leads to the present moment. Um, and if you think about it, like kind of a uh, sphere with like you at the center and your experiences are, I guess, expanding outward. Um, and it's basically just everything that you come into contact with. Uh, basically what I'm trying to say is that most people have like a gut reaction or just an instinctual reaction when they hear music and the music they're hearing either is inside their sphere of influence, like inside what they've come into contact with, or it is outside of it. Um, and so I think one component of criticism is when you just hear something and is just outside of your sphere. Um, and then because it is, you choose not to like it. Um, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, and I think that's why it's important to, put it in a context and stuff so people can understand also how their tastes are affected by by the culture and stuff and like people's tastes can change too but i think yeah when when stuff is so immediate and there's so much out there people are just more inclined to and our culture is very based around like you pick the things that you like and you don't pick the things you don't like and you never interrogate why you like the things that you like right. really well so yeah and so i think there's a second component too that's also like uh basically a character judgment that i think maybe happens more maybe on a subconscious level but like when you hear music um for instance if you listen to country music i think that might be a good example um 
the music is so lined with uh, these little ticks or like hints that um, like reveal aspects of essentially the creator that made the music. Um, so I think a lot of times when you hear music, you're picking up on all these things and like really quickly essentially doing a making a judgment on the creator of the music uh, based on all these little elements that are embedded in the music. Um, and I think that's the second element to music criticism where it's like <laughs> you hear this stuff and you're like, this person sounds like a piece of shit. Um, therefore, like, I don't like it. Um, I, do you, do you view that as being a good thing? Cause I, I don't. Yeah. I mean, I think, well, I think that kind of judgment, like can, it has its use, like it helps us yeah. uh, avoid, um, I don't know. It, it has its good and bad, I guess. Um, I, I just feel like it's important to not make assumptions about, like, if you know enough about the situation to say, like, hey, this person is probably a dick, and here's how it affects their music, I can see that. Or if the music is, kind of has dickish sentiments, um, uh, I can see that, but, like, it's also, like, I don't know. I don't know if people should assume stuff so readily about the artist based on what they make. Like... Uh for example, like um, I made a, a, a video game that's very difficult and very like um, there's a lot of sort of friction against the player, and I think that might lead to people assuming that I'm a total sadist, uh -huh. <laughs> uh, which is not really the case. That's uh, not really my personality. Yeah. No, I think that kind of judgment it. Um... It can be really misleading to, to use country music again as an example. Like country music has all these tropes, you know. Um, a lot of them are lyrical tropes. Um, so you know, if you take an artist like I don't know, like Keith Urban or some somebody like that, um, a lot of the time they'll use these kind of like Southern Americana. Uh, like drink drinking beer and like driving trucks and stuff like tr these these country tropes yeah like very traditional ideas about relationships yeah hetero hetero relationships like um, and my woman left me and yeah and a lot of the time i suspect that like like we shouldn't always maybe take these hidden messages in music at face value as like a direct reflection of the creator's inner mind you know um sometimes definitely sometimes it's just a creator playing with tropes or playing with genre or um you know just just working inside the music um and a lot of times they don't deserve in my opinion the like vitriol that uh that is that comes at them like comes at their personal character based on the music they're making. Yeah, I mean that's something that um I I'm trying to write a piece about like 
Radiohead because oh, OK Computer. Like I, Radiohead was like hugely influential for me when I was younger. Um, but like Radiohead got like a lot of exposure, obviously. Um, but a lot of people reacted to to Tom York, the lead singer, as like they're like, oh, he's a jerk because he doesn't like doing interviews, or yeah. you know, he said something that was a jerk, and or or they don't like the sound of his voice, so they think he's an asshole. Or, you know, something like that. And people are so fixated in that. And, like, at the end of the day, like, I don't care. Like, I'm probably not going to meet Tom York. Like, um, I mean, if I do, that's great. But, like, like I don't care about whether Tom York is a jerk or not. I Like, I want to listen to the music, you know. Like, I want to think about that, that. And, like, maybe it does, like, it can affect the music. And, I mean, there are situations, like, there was that recent controversy about this band called power bottom or whatever their name is um where they got dropped from their label because um one of the band members had like sexually abused a bunch of people or i don't remember ex- yeah exactly the story right no i think i i think i saw that yeah um and like i th- those things yeah those things are it's important to call those things out on in my book and it's important to not ignore them and you know like if I hear something like that about an artist, uh, then I will think differently about him. But if it's just like you don't like this person because they were an asshole to somebody in inter- in an interview or le- or whatever, like you don't really understand what situation that person, you know, like someone like Tom York might have been going through. You don't really get the context. Right. Um, so like it's just hard to know about the in in the same way that people will think glowing things about certain celebrities. Or think that they're doing certain things or saying certain things that they're not. All this, like, kind of personality. We're so fixated on the personalities and so much gets attributed to that that um, I feel like it tends to distract from music. And, and that's something that has always frustrated me. Yeah, I think it's just the way of uh, absorbing music has kind of evolved into that like character judgment, I guess, um, to the point where maybe it's like it's a big function, or not, maybe that's the wrong word. The big, uh, just a big part of the listening process is like you're listening for a character, like for a personality. Um, and again, I'm not saying that um, I'm not saying that this is how I listen to music, or that. Uh, yeah, I don't even know if it's necessarily you can call it good or bad. I just think it's that's kind of the point that uh, that we're at on a large scale, I guess. Yeah, I think that's a really good observation. That's like something that I've I think I've noticed um, unconsciously, but haven't been quite able to articulate in that way. Um, or at least I don't have enough insight into what exactly people are trying to, to think about. Because, like, that's, at the end of the day, that's, like, maybe that's something I used to think about, but it's not something I think about anymore, um, for the most part. Like, there are definitely situations where I think about that. But, like, and it's it's impossible yeah. to fully divorce, like, a person from their work of art. Uh-huh. I, I def- <laughs> Yeah. But, like, projecting... Uh, a personality into something is a really, um, you know, 
uh, rocky territory, like, and it might not have actually anything to do with what you think it does. So I feel like I just, it like, it, as far as like the future correct, uh, direction of music criticism, and maybe this is part of the reason that like, as an artist, I'm also trying to maybe do write more music criticism in the future is just to like, say like, Hey, um, here's a different approach, you know, maybe, maybe let's like not focus too much on the personality and let's try and focus on some of these other things. And I don't know, maybe that'll, maybe that'll, because people always get bored of particular trends or ideas when they become too ever present. So maybe, maybe it is about time where things will start to, to change. I don't know. So what do you, what do you, how do you view, view like your ideal, a mode of criticism is it like more of a like i said like a sociology perspective like historical context type of thing i i think it's it's both that and like reviews can be good although i don't think star reviews are a great thing but you know i don't think they're going to go away so whatever but um i think like it, it should take as many things into consideration as possible honestly and i really want to see I like places that do reviews of everything, like TV, uh, movies, politics, video games, music, like all that stuff. Because all that stuff is intertwined together for me. And I think like I like to read about like criticism of a movie and then I like to read criticism about an album like right next to each other. Like, I don't know. That's just my personal feeling. But I so I I feel like it's it's a good thing to sort of draw upon as many kind of bits of information as possible um, and try and sort of form the best sort of conclusion based on that that you can and you're not always going to get it right but um, th at least it's will be apparent that you put the effort in uh, which is a, it's a difficult thing to do but if we're talking about like you know, especially if we're talking about ideal situation, that's that's what I hope for criticism. I don't know. Maybe like I it would be cool to see more like sort of podcast or YouTuber kind of uh, reviews of music that are kind of interesting and um, insightful and not just like talking about your impressions of the music. But the unfortunate thing about music is copyright issues sort of prevent um, dealing with a lot of that stuff in an appropriate way but um i don't know maybe that's maybe somebody who's reviewing music on youtube can just concentrate on like underground net label releases where they don't really care about that stuff as much you know as as big as like you know <laughs> as like frank ocean or beyonce or something you know where if you if you play any of that music your your video is going to get taken down do you um, have any YouTube people who are doing that kind of thing, like just maybe taking one album uh, that's, you know, not like a huge artist and kind of dissecting it, like you just said? Um, I've seen like some stuff about Vaporwave artists, um, but it's not, no, I haven't seen a lot. I mean, I like, if you like, you can look up like, you know, okay computer criticism and they're probably like, uh, 20 different videos of like dudes giving monologues about how influential and important OK Computer was or something like that you know um, but I'm not really interested in that as much as like um, 
you know, something that kind of is a little bit draws upon different sort of cultural ideas and contexts and, and brings them together in a way that's interesting. Um, and I don't know, like, but no, I, I really haven't seen it might, there might be stuff like that out there, but I really haven't found it. I mean, you know, it's funny, like, I try and follow like video game reviewers and commentators and stuff. But even as far as that's concerned, where there are like 8 million videos of that stuff out there, I'd say that there are only a few that have really stuck with me as being really interesting and like having a real impact on like my thinking about that stuff. So unfortunately, maybe that's just like how the media landscape is or something and and making videos about that kind of stuff on youtube is going to be it was with music in particular on youtube is going to be difficult but i don't know that's something i'd like to see it's funny i've seen because i'll you know i kind of use youtube as my like tv now in a way um yeah <laughs> i'd sort of do too and uh i always see these there's like a lot of what you're talking about with like anime and movies and stuff um like i'll see a lot of this like in-depth anime criticism <laughs> and, yeah totally and i always find myself wishing there was kind of that scene for uh for underground music also um yeah i think the copyright thing is a major issue but it's it's definitely doable for underground music you should you should do that yourself <laughs> maybe i don't know like i uh like <laughs> i am uh, uh i identify as uh queer and i'm a trans person and like i i'm not like excited about the idea of what that might bring as far as commentators on my youtube channel but i don't know just because i know a lot of like people who are women and stuff and and who are identified who are not like white guys get harassed a lot on the internet but i don't know maybe yeah maybe i could just do voice and not like do actual video of my face i've thought about it i just have a lot of things on my plate right now <laughs> no i've seen even like even like food review people who have just like are really bummed because they just get destroyed in the comment section um yeah it can be really demoralizing um Absolutely. And like, I've been close to video game stuff. So I've seen some of that stuff happen to people that I know, like firsthand. And that's, it's pretty intense. Yeah. Um, so I guess before we go, I wanted to ask you also about, well, one, I wanted to ask you, like, what do you see the future of, of Orange Milk Records? And also, um, but first I wanted to ask you about um, sort of what it, what has, what, has gone into making your music with giant claw um and other projects um and if you just wanted to talk a little bit about that um like maybe what you bring to your music or and if you're doing it more lately and uh kind of like yeah what your perspective as far as making music and all that stuff is concerned um well i've been I've been working on new music for like the last few, I think two years maybe. Um, and I'm finally just putting together a record that I am pretty pleased with. But uh, like the last year and a half definitely was 
a process of kind of making things and then not liking them and starting over many times, um, which I think a lot of artists I've talked to have gone through a phase like that. Um, for me, it would be like I would be get really in, interested in a certain sound and then make a lot and then like a few months later, be like, no, I, I hate this. Like, I want something different. And uh, kind of that process repeated over and over. Um, <laughs> I've been through that. Yeah, it's not fun. Um, <laughs> but, well, I guess there is some fun to it. But uh, I, I think I'm finally have come out of that and have a, I'm very close to finishing finishing a new record that I'm pretty pleased with. Um, cool. But I don't know. Is that is there anything? Well, I noticed, uh, like, um, I'm going to guess, because one thing that I heard that, like, One Tricks Point never does, for example, um, or Daniel Lopatin does, is, like, takes a lot of samples from, like, YouTube videos and stuff and puts them into the the, the music as part of the, the texture. And I I see that, I feel like I see that a lot with Orange Milk releases, but also with, like, your stuff where there's, like, just random kind of strange voice samples or like um you know a lot of things like that so where where do you get some of that those sounds from so um yeah a lot of uh the stuff i've been doing i will take acapella vocal tracks um recently it's mostly from pop music um and i'll kind of cut I'll go into my music program and uh, cut the vocal track usually by phrases or by syllables. So it's just a ton of tiny clips of little vocal syllables or uh, little vocal lines that are usually pretty short. Um, and then I'll usually basically try to reconstruct something from those short clips um so like last year i was doing i was trying to create more new entire vocal lines by rearranging these uh, syllables um and i kind of stopped doing that a little bit and maybe focus more on just uh interesting sounds of the voice or um interesting timbres and all that stuff um and basically just using the human voice as like a like a, another texture or another instrument um to play with um so there's that element but usually that um i don't do that much sampling other than the vocals a lot of uh, the other instruments are just a lot of vsts or i download this really great um, orchestral library that I've been using a ton. Um, Some of that stuff is like a godsend. <laughs> like the the orchestra stuff, or or some like some of those like high end sample stuff or whatever. Like I I've um I haven't used a lot of that. I tend to use more low tech samples, but I have um we'll say obtained uh, some of the 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 more high end stuff before. Um, and um 
yeah, some of that stuff can add so much texture like right away. It's it's pretty it's pretty amazing. Yeah, I think for me a lot of my inspiration comes from just uh, new sound palettes essentially. Um so I usually am always trying to find like some new new textures and new sounds to get inspired by. Um and definitely I've been inspired by the whole sound design world. Like I mentioned earlier, like a lot of the like blockbuster movies I love, or the big Hollywood movies, I love um, listening to their sound design. Um, or trying to like kind of isolate just the audio track or the music track or like the Foley track, which is just the, you know, the footsteps and all nature sounds and all that. Um, so that, that arena has been a big source of inspiration too. Um, that makes sense. Well, in a, a way, it's you're almost like celebrating some of the the strangeness of that art when it's divorced from the cultural context where it's this background. Yeah, or definitely, whatever. Definitely, it's just. I mean, it's just beautiful sound, really. Um, I noticed, like, um, I think like Burial does that a lot as well, and it does. It feels like also a lot of artists that I've heard on Orange Milk will do that kind of stuff where I'll recognize samples from, from even like, you know, a video or something, you know, and it's like very mainstream kind of like, like gun sounds or like, (laughs) I remember one, uh, artist, um, what's his name? DJ WWWWW or whatever it's called. Um, but he had like a sample that is like, um, like the, the age, uh, like at the beginning of like videos of trailers of like video games there's this oftentimes this like age rating and he had used a sample of the guy it's it's called Peggy 16 and he had a sample of just the guy saying Peggy 16 <laughs> yeah. I, I thought that was pretty funny it's like that, just a, a random place for that kind of stuff to pop up in DJ www um his music is it's like all that hyper collage style um it's like taking from a million different sources and trying to make them work together. Um, yeah, that's a really interesting style I love. Yeah, I, I'm definitely into that album too. Um, but Okay, so the last thing that I wanted to ask you um, is just about, you know, how, how do you see... I'm sorry if this is a question you get asked a lot or you don't really know the answer either. Um how do you see like the future of orange milk records and things like it sort of um how do you see how this is gonna evolve or or change in the future um well i guess the times i did get asked this it was me and seth have been honestly trying to like figure out a money situation more and more um just because we don't really pay ourselves for running the label. Um, I'd say like 90% of the money goes back into new releases. Um, so f- we've just been, you know, devoting huge chunks of time um, into kind of just this like side hobby that is the label. And uh, we just think it, it would be really great if we could get to a point where it was um, 
essentially like our at least our like part-time jobs or like uh, something we could really throw ourselves a hundred percent into. So that's, that's been what's on our mind, uh, like at the forefront of our minds. Um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, the business of this stuff is really, <laughs> the reason I'm able to survive being self-employed was, is almost completely because I have a Patreon. Oh, really? Um, yeah, and I mean, I also, I kind of got in on the video game stuff at the right time, and I, um, so I got some attention, like, writing about games, and I think that's the reason why I was able to have, like, I, and I also started on Patreon, like, almost right when Patreon started to be a thing, like, I started my Patreon in, like, January of 2014, so, um, so I think I've been lucky, but... Um, so what kind of... Um, what? How does Patreon work? Like, you're... Is it just people pledging, like, a monthly amount? Yeah. Yeah. It used to be, I think, they pledged per work or per month, but um, I think people just do monthly now. Um, con- what is the content you're producing? Is it, like, video game reviews? Or? I, I, like... I write some stuff on my blog, like uh, this podcast is one of the things. Oh. Um, yeah, I'm. It's pretty sporadic, though. I I'm not as like I don't know. I mean, I've said this before. I yeah, I straight up say like I'm not promising that I'm doing a certain amount of things a month, but that I will do these things generally. Um, so hopefully, people are supporting me on that basis. And if they don't like that, they can not support me. So on, I don't want any. On Patreon, you can. Like, unpledge your support at any time. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. You can. Yeah, I know a lot of YouTube people kind of make a living off that that model. Well, and that's the thing. Like, that's kind of like the only model. Like, cause like people who are big on YouTube, like they don't get much revenue from YouTube itself unless they're really big. Right. Um. And so it's weird, like, that model, I think, is pretty imperfect, but it's a lot better than a lot else, unfortunately, um, for what it's worth. But I don't know. Who knows? As far as, like, orange milk is concerned, it's possible. I mean, I feel like I've seen you guys get mentioned more in just, like, in more um, broader context, like, get brought up in broader context. So maybe... So maybe some of the maybe the label will get a little bit more popular at some point, and you'll be able to have a little bit more money to. I don't know. I don't know how you like start a Patreon to to help with a label, or if that's a thing. And obviously, the community with um, with like uh, you know, running a music label is and and the kind of people who buy stuff from um, Orange Milk aren't necessarily going to be the same kind of people who watch video game youtubers or whatever (laughs) right right um i don't know well i hope you guys stick around (laughs) at at least in some context yeah i mean we've been going for why don't we've been going for five or six years no like seven years so that's a pretty long time i think yeah i think for other any other startup labels i think if you um a big part of it is just like 
keep going. Do you know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's sort of that's. I guess that's what Tiny Mixtapes has done too. Yeah. I think if you're, or even as like an artist, I've or musician, I've seen a lot of um, kind of interesting artists come up and then just kind of. I don't know if I want to say give up, but just stop, stop producing things and. Um, I think if your goal in making music is to like kind of get some attention or make maybe make a living from it, I think just being persistent is uh, goes a long way. Yeah, I've noticed that too. I felt like for the longest time I wasn't getting anywhere, and I finally starting to feel like I'm getting somewhere, but it's very very slow. Yeah. <laughs> um. And like, I don't know necessarily know if I if I want to completely try and support myself through music yet, but I do at least want to feel like I'm more part of the the conversation, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very so, it's, yeah. I don't it's know. difficult with music because um, I make right now. I'm making I'm like paying rent uh, from doing visual art commission stuff um and i just find it's a different mentality as in if someone asked you to do a record cover there's like an assumed uh money transaction involved like they assume that they're gonna have to pay you something but for instance like if someone asks you to do a remix of a track most of the time, the assumption there is that you're going to be doing that for free. Um, so I just think maybe that's slightly symbolic of like the different perception of digital, or I mean, visual art and music, how they function. Uh, yeah, I th- I think you're absolutely right there. I, it's the same. Musicians um, and sound designers tend to get paid the least in uh, like video games and stuff too. Oh, really? It tends to be the yeah. What's the most like? Who gets the most in the video game world? Uh, programmers usually, um, or you know, like the the lead designers that like the the project leads. But oftentimes, the the programmers are the things that are valued the most and tend to get paid the most and have the easiest time getting jobs um, in comparison to other things. And then it's visual art. Uh, because uh, games usually require a lot of visual art, and then music and sound design are definitely in, in dead last as far as that's concerned. It's in, it's is like are programmers more sparse than? No, there's a lot of there's a lot of programmers, but a lot of people also need programmers. Oh. It's yeah, it's funny because like the music of a of a video game can be such a crucial element um yeah but people don't see it as a thing that they i mean and there are a lot of people out there who want to make music for games so yeah it's not a thing that i i actually had a couple of pretty well-known artists who i met um like electronic artists who uh said that they wanted to do music for games and and asked me about it and i basically told them like uh I know who you are and I like your music, but that doesn't mean that X or Y is going to know who you are or care about that or have any money to pay you to do that. <laughs> it's a different culture. 
Yeah. It's, I mean, being an artist is just like being in, in on the hustle, I guess. Um, it's like all yeah. is just trying to find some way to make some money, I guess. Well, and you can be a big name in one world and people still have no idea who you are in the other world. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, I, a lot of the times I think people um, – I think – from my experience, some people have viewed, like particularly Orange Milk, as being having a, like a bigger institution than it actually is. Like it's just literally me and Seth, two people, um, like not making any money, just uh, like very small operation. But um, yeah, like I mean getting written up in publications or just being on uh, passed around through word of mouth can kind of elevate this perception of how established something is uh, when reality is very much different, I guess. Yeah. Well, and if you're on the other side of that reality, it can be very difficult. But I think that goes back to what you're saying about, I think it's, it is important to just, and I've discovered this too, because i wanted to quit doing things when I haven't gotten, you know, attention or exposure because I feel like, what, what's the point? But I do feel like you do it at the end of the day. Like if there's something you really want to do, you should find some sort of way to keep doing it. And if, if you keep banging your head against the wall, like usually something does happen. And like, that's not like, I'm not trying to like use that as like a justification for like, you know, um, capitalist like inequality or anything like that but um but it, it is true and that's something to like that definitely to have some faith or hope in i i think at the very least i always do you know what that reminds me of is like <laughs> thinking about people who um like die never having like been in a relationship or something like that uh oh, oh God. it's like it seems it seems implausible, but it's like there's people who go through their whole life like without just like being screwed over like the entire time. Um, I don't know. I, just, yep. I don't know. I just thought of <laughs> no. It's it's true. I mean, like uh, I guess we'll end on this, but like I read a um, it was a like an interview piece about David Lynch had a documentary about him getting into making art and him. He was talking about that. And this guy who had filmed the documentary was talking about, well, first of all, how much like he struggled. Um, and David Lynch is like an institution now, but like this guy struggled like years and years and years. And his parents are like, what the, what the fuck are you doing? Um, David Lynch's parents or the interview? No, the David Lynch's parents. Okay. Um, and um, like he was able to to make it work because he got some grants, which are not really a thing anymore that you can get for the most part. Um, but like the the guy was talking about somebody who was friends with David Lynch, who was kind of a contemporary uh, when they both started out. And like the guy was like, oh, yeah, it's been forever. I get since I did any of this stuff. Let me like dig this stuff out. And the guy was just like saying the the guy who wrote the article was saying like this guy could have been David Lynch. This guy, it just he just didn't get lucky and, you know, he didn't keep doing it. But like there's 
you know, it is kind of random, like, and it, and it isn't the idea, it isn't this idea of meritocracy, like, that the the best inevitably rise to the top. It's really just that, like, the most persistent <laughs> do, maybe. Um, like, the best, but yeah. like the best hus- hustler sometimes. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it, and it is an important skill, regardless of, you know, what the economic situation is or what reality that you live in. Um, I think at the end of the day. So, and it's something to like, it's not a great comfort at times, but you know, it is like, it does, things do happen. And I've seen a lot of other people say the same thing and I've noticed the effects of that too, from putting effort into it. So yeah, I don't know. It's, that's something. It's also, I mean, when I also think about that, it's kind of like having to assess, like, what do you actually, like, why are you doing something? Or, like, what are you trying to get out of it? Do you know what I mean? Um, and, and a lot of art, for me, it's like, like, there's one segment of my mind that is, like, I need to make money to live. Um, and then another segment, which is, like, I, I'm doing this thing because... Like, it's, it's as close as I can come to, like, feeling enjoyment about something. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, so it's yeah. a constant balance between those two uh, kind of sometimes fighting ideas, I guess. Um, yeah, I think they are um, sort of at war with each other. But um, I don't know. I think... I th- I just think it's sad, it's sad when people have to put aside like artistic practice because they're not making money off of it or because something and like if somebody has a voice and an ability to contribute I want like to hope that that person like cuz like regardless of what people will say about everything being on digital you know like everything being out there there's too much stuff out there um as far as like good ideas, there's a smaller number of people who really have really interesting i ideas and and things to um contribute and there's a lot of noise like out there there's a lot of people who are just doing it for other reasons so if you are genuine and you do care about it you're in a you're in a privileged group of people and and I think it's like important to like you know that people should be doing that you know they should be trying to do it and and find a way to do it even if it they're they're not successful at it or or whatever like it's something that people should if they feel passionate about they should find a way to do um in in some way and i know it's not always easy but yeah well i I think maybe we touched on this before but it's like one when you decide to like enter into essentially what is like an exchange of money or like making something and then trying to get money from it. Like you're like entering into these rules of like, you're at the mercy of people's wallets. Essentially. It's like, if you're a, if you decide to be a plumber and like you're a shitty plumber, you're not going to be able to uh, keep doing that profession. And I think like there's some parallels between that, and being an artist, like you have to give yourself um, over to people's whims. Um, so I, I'm, I'm not sure where I'm going with this, but I, I just, I guess I'll just say that um, 
like for now I'm continuing to make the art that I want to make. Um, but if at some point people decide that they don't want to put money into that or they don't like it, it's like, I don't know how much I can, uh, complain, complain about that. If, if that makes any sense. Um, yeah, no, it does. Um, I, I'm definitely in a privileged position too, even though, you know, I don't make a lot of money. I make enough to support myself and that's way more than a lot of other people. So yeah, I don't know. Um, but it, to extend from that, a lot can be said to like adapting to, uh, trends or like an evolving culture, I guess. Um, that's a whole, I guess that's a whole other topic, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> And I think I think it's valuable. I think it's it's valuable. Like I'm not a person who thinks that like that stuff is inherently useless. And I've tried to engage with some of that stuff. And I think that's why I've gotten some of a following that I have is even stuff that I haven't necessarily wanted to directly try engage with. But I said like I'm gonna you know take the leap and try and yeah focus on this thing. It can be a really good thing. Um, I agree. So yeah, and it's a it's a balance. It's it's always a balance. Like I feel like it's important not to focus too much on the zeitgeist, but it's also important to be aware of it, um, and to like, you know, find the bits of it that you can uh, connect with or something. Yeah. But yeah. Well, anyway, uh, thank you for talking to me. Um, I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Um, I feel like this has been a really interesting discussion, and I'm I'm happy to have it with more musicians and such. Yeah, thanks for asking. Again, I was talking to Keith Rankin from Orange Milk Records and also Giant Claw and other things. Um, 